If you would take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Going to begin reading at verse 8 and read through verse 11. Philippians 1, verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. The title of the message this morning is Abounding in His Love. Abounding in His Love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. We pray that as we look into the word of God today, that we'd open our hearts and our minds to receive thy truth, and that you would be glorified, we'd allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts, and bring conviction where conviction is needed, and correction where it is needed. And I pray that, uh, that you would teach us, instruct us, and that we would be helped and edified in our walk with the Lord. Lord, we pray that any in our midst this morning are not genuine, not sincere. I pray that the Spirit of God would reveal that to them. They might see their need to surrender, repentance and faith in Christ. I pray that you would just be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. When two people spend time together, that is if they're nice people, uh, when two people spend time together, their love and knowledge of one another increases. And Paul's prayer for, this is a prayer that Paul's praying or desire of his, and Paul's prayer here for the Philippian believers and God's desire for us is for our love to abound more and more. The word abound means to have an abundance, to be preeminence, it's to excel in. It ought to be something about you that stands out, is noticeable, is easily seen, is apparent to those around you. You are a child of God. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, what did he tell them in John chapter 13? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Now we've got a world out there that's really funny about what love is. Now I use that word funny to me. They don't really understand what it is. They have weird ideas about what love is. As we're going to see, you know, love is basically doing what is right. Doing what is right. It's not just a feeling, although there may be feelings involved. It's not a feeling. Feelings are fruits of that. But this ought to stand out. You know, God's people ought to be distinctive in their conduct. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, 
that ye should so forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. That word peculiar there doesn't mean that you're kind of odd or weird. It means you're a possession of God. You're a purchased possession of God. And he says we're a holy nation, a royal priesthood that ought to be demonstrated to the world. We'll, it ought, our lives ought to demonstrate that we are God's property, if you will. We're His children. It was often said of us bilers, you can always tell a biler. Just can't tell them very much. Ephesians uh, 1.14 says, which is the earnest of our inheritance of the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. So if you've been saved by the blood of Christ, you are a purchased possession, and as a purchased possession of God, there are some things that should be evident in your life. It should be growing, excelling. And Paul says here in verse 9, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. So there ought to be a love that's growing, abounding. And love is giving of yourself. It's, it's defined as affection or goodwill. In John chapter 14, John chapter 14, Jesus described how their lives would demonstrate to his disciples how their lives would demonstrate their love for God. John 14 verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself unto him. Judas saith unto him, Not a scare, Lord, how is it thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will, will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. In other words, we're going to have a close relationship, we're going to have an abiding relationship with, with that person, because they keep or they do, the idea is that they do obey my commandments. Brother Hoyle illustrated this morning that, you know, to tell his wife he loves her, but if there's no demonstration of acts of any love to her, she would really, would she really, really believe that he loved her? And the answer is no. She would not. Love is not just words. It's actions. And, and this uh, growing love that the Lord describes here for, and the Paul is talking about it in Philippians chapter 1, this is the inner and utmost desire uh, of God for us, and it's an inner and utmost desire in us to please God. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first, came God his righteousness. So if you love God, you're going to seek Him first. You know, our, our love, what we love is demonstrated by how we live and what we do. If a man loves money, he's always trying to earn more money. That's where his focus in life is. So Jesus said in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there will be your heart be also. Matthew 5, 6, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. You see, if a person really loves God, they will buy the truth and sell it not. In other words, the truths of God's Word will be more important than anything else in life. 
Truth will be more important than health, wealth, popularity, or pleasure. See, this is what a growing love or desire for this love for God is. I want you to notice several things this morning. So we're talking about abounding His love, and this, this growing or abounding love will display itself in several ways that are given here in this passage. First of all, an ever-growing knowledge of God. Notice verse 9 again. In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge. In knowledge. Of course, this knowledge is defined as precise and correct knowledge of things ethical and divine. So it's having a knowledge of God and who He is, that He is absolute. And, and of course, this knowledge of God provides us also, and it gives us two things, an acquaintance of God's will for our lives. When we learn of God we also learn what God's will is for our life. So this, this, this love brings God, uh, of God brings us into a knowledge of Him which defines for us what is right and what is not right. It deepens one re, one's relationship with Him and it affects our relationships with other people as well. That's the effect of it. Jesus gave, you know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. First John tells us, if you don't love your, 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 your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? So when we love God, it affects our relationship with our brethren. Our fellow human beings. Because God gives us a knowledge of what is right what is not right. And when we learn what is right, then we know how to treat other people. From God's perspective. You know, the world says, spit on your enemies. You hate them that hate you. It's, you know, tit for tat. You you put fire out with fire. That's what the world says. But the Bible says, to love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you and despitefully use you. That you may be as your Father which is in heaven. You, know, you never win your enemy to the Lord if you treat him the way he treats you. You see, this love for God gives us an understanding of, of, of how we ought to treat our fellow men. What is right in relationships with others? In fact, go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And verse 1, he starts with the Lord here, that which we have from the beginning, heard from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our hands of handle the word of life. The life was manifested, we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Of course, he's talking about Christ. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, so we're declaring this unto you, so you can have fellowship with us. In other words, our relationship with you can be also deepened because of our relationship with him. 
these things, verse 4, write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which heard of him, declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. See, if you have relationship problems with people, because you have something is not right between you and God. Your Proverbs 16.6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 16, verse 7, the very next verse says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now you might have an enemy that doesn't like you, but if you do good to them, how long are they not going to like you? It's going to be hard for them not to like you. You see, the natural man blames his cantankerous and ugly ways and attitudes on the actions of others. But as Christians, we're not to have angry and cantankerous attitudes and actions. Period. It's not justifiable. You see, this growing love of God gives us gives us an acquaintance of His will for our lives and our relationship with others. It brings also an awareness of the blessing blessings God has given us and continues to give. Notice again verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. So the word bowels there has to do is, you know, you ever say, I just have this gut feeling. That's, that's the idea. From the bottom of my heart, this is what I, how I, what I feel for you, what I desire for you. In this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now let's put this in context. Paul is confined to prison. And he's giving us here, talking here about what God desires to do in the lives of these people who were saved out of darkness, out of paganism, out of emptiness, out of the attitude to eat, drink, and revel in pleasure, for we're going to die anyway. To an elevated position of, he talks about being sincere, without offense, proving things that are excellent, having purpose and, and, and direction for life. You know, this is the man who at one time went from town to nat- town arresting people, putting them in jail, hailing women and w- men and women, not heeding to their cries for, for mercy, you know, hating everyone. 
And now he's talking about love that abounds yet more and more. And he's talking about things that are excellent. Being sincere. Fruits of righteousness. And this he's doing while he's sitting in a jail cell. You see, now he has purpose in life. You know, many times we learn these things through setbacks and adversities in life. You see, it's during this time in prison that, that he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, which tells us what we talked about last week about the spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places and all these things and and, and, you know, sometimes the greatest blessings come to us through the greatest tragedies. You know, this church came about as, as a result of him being arrested and thrown into the inner prison and put his feet fast in the stocks. And then, it, then him singing and praying at midnight. And God freeing them by an earthquake. And you know the story. Again, some of the, sometimes we don't realize the blessings we have until we go through adversities. Think of the prophecy of Daniel. You know, Daniel had gone through a tragedy. His home was destroyed. He was taken captive as a young man, carried off to Babylon, faced obstacles, great obstacles, whereby he experienced the greatest manifestations, manifestation of God's blessing and power in his life. You see, when our love grows, we become aware all of a sudden, even in the midst of adversities, the blessings that God has given us. You know, Paul's sitting in jail, but he said, I have all these things. I have them. Susanna Spurgeon, the wife of the famous Charles Haddon Spurgeon, had twin boys, after which she never really recovered and was bedridden for long periods of time. And she wept because she felt she'd be a burden to her husband and not a help. But being a writer herself and her lover of books, she decided she'd start a book fund. to give her husband's books to poor preachers who would request them. And the reason that Spurgeon's books are everywhere is because Susanna Spurgeon gave away books. Till the end of her life, she gave away her husband's books, which were a great help to men in the ministry. You know, sometimes God's time out is God's time to learn the riches of the fullness of His grace. You know, there's some verses I really don't understand, I have to admit. In Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, it says, Though he were a son, speaking about Christ, yet he learned, learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. And being made perfect, 
he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. The only explanation I have is that he had a body of humanity, and that body of humanity, though he was the Son of God in a body of humanity, yet somehow that body of humanity learned maturity and was matured by his suffering that he endured during his earthly life. Paul said, the power of Christ rested upon him why? because of his adversity. And so we see this, we, we, this love abounds more and more in knowledge. I want to notice a second thing, a third thing actually. Uh, there's an acting in greater discernment as a result of this abounding love. Notice verses 9 and 10. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment in that you may approve things that are excellent. Now, the word judgment here is defined as moral discernment, the understanding of ethical matters. To discern means to, to perceive by sight or some other sense or by the intellect is to recognize and to distinguish between right and wrong. Of course, based upon the word of God. You know, for example, in Proverbs 7, 7, Solomon said, I beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. So he recognized or distinguished mentally that this man lacked understanding because of where he was going in his life. Of course, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Apostle Paul tells us by inspiration, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for a foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So again, we discern things by the Spirit of God. And this discernment gives one the ability to prove things that are excellent. It's a, it's a scrutiny, if you will. The word approve means to examine or scrutinize of course, excellent things refers to good things, lawful things, right things. And so, as we abandon love, he says, we ought to, we're going to grow also in this judgment or in this discernment. Because the more we learn about God, the more we understand His thinking processes, which is, which we need to bring our minds into captivity to His thinking processes. And we, as we learn them, we're going to have discernment or understanding of how to determine what is right and what is not right. It will affect our choices. Again, all of which are determined by our growing love for God. You know, if your speech, your actions, your choices are determined by the people and the circumstances around you, you are not led by the Spirit of God. You're led by your flesh. Or your emotions which there really isn't any difference. See, it boils down to is what are my choices, my words, my choices, my actions led by? And that, that'll display your level of discernment. Whether it's discerning by the Spirit of God or whether you're discerning things by your flesh and your own understanding, your own perception.
Go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. <clears throat> Romans 13. And verses 8 through 10. The Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth hath another hath fulfilled the law. So there the Bible says the love is the fulfilling of the law. And it says that again in verse 10. For this. Okay, now we're going to talk about discerning actions. For this. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt, or thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So, you know, we say thou shalt not commit adultery, he says. So adultery, you know, doesn't cheat on others, doesn't take what belongs to someone else. We're not to kill, disregard another person's right to life. Of course, but Jesus increased that by saying not be angry with your brother. Not reactionary. Do not steal. Do not violate others' boundaries. Don't force oneself on another or coerce or manipulate. Doesn't bear false witness. Lie or make things up or slander other people. Does not covet, not jealous of another, what they have, their talents, their abilities. You know, many people are jealous over their spouse or of their spouse. They want attention for themselves and they're jealous of what others have. You see, love is, and using right rise discernment, is always seeking the benefit of others, right actions to others, concerning others. Here's verse 10 there, it says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. See, growth in love directs one to approve, to examine, and to recognize, and then carry act, out and act in ways that are excellent. Knowing the difference between good and evil. I was thinking in Sunday school class this morning when the Amalekite came to David with the news that Saul and Jonathan were dead. And he said, how do you know? David said, how do you know? Well, you know, and he gave this story. And he said, I... You know, he wasn't dead, so I finished him off. You know, aren't you glad David has some discernment there? David discerned. You know, here's, here's an opportunity for him. By the way, what were the children of Israel supposed to do with the Malachites? They were to destroy him. David discerned this man was an attempt by the devil to infiltrate his administration from the very beginning and be a stumbling block to him. And he was not to lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. Even though Saul considered David an enemy, David did not consider Saul an enemy. See, people may consider you their enemy, but if you're going to have grow in judgment and discernment, you're not going to consider them your enemy. They're just pawns in the hands of a devil that's out to cause you to stumble. And that Amalekite 
was a pawn in the hands of the devil to cause David to stumble. See, we need to have discernment to make right choices. Paul didn't say when the Philippian jailer comes trembling in and, and, and you know, he's ready to kill himself, Paul didn't say, go ahead. After all, to the jailer, Paul was his enemy. But to Paul, the jailer was not an enemy. And no matter what was done to him, Paul had the discernment to make a right choice, a right action concerning that jailer, and say, do thyself no harm. We're all here. We're all here. You see, when we can bound and more in love and love and, and love, we will be able to say like Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. Like Stephen said, Lord, know not this sin to their charge. We won't react and make choices determined by people and the circumstances around us but act in a way that pleases the Lord and is right in His sight. So acting in greater discernment. Fourthly, there will be actions that are real. Notice verses 10 and 11. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ. When your love grows and abounds more and more, that your actions will be real. That the word here is sincere and without offense. The word sincere is derived from a Latin expression, I'm told, meaning without wax. Let me let me illustrate it for you. You know, if you walk around on this floor, protect particularly along that wall over there, uh, you're going to see some spots that are different color. You know, there's a spot right up here I see that, that it's, it's kind of whitish and there's a couple over there and some back there. There's some white spots. And what those white spots are is wood filler. Lowers. There was a damaged, the surface of the wood was damaged. Maybe it was termites or, or something. It was damaged, so we filled it in with wood filler and, and then we, we uh, uh, put polyurethane over it all. What I'm saying is, those spots are not real. They are not sincere. They are not wood. And they're not sincere. Although they may appear just to be a different coloration of wood. They're not wood. They're not sincere. And so if this building was the praise for selling... We have an appraiser here this morning. This, this building was appraised for selling. Probably those spots would be an offense. Or a cause for a reduced price in the building. Why? Because they're not real. They're not genuine. Now, when our love for God abounds, 
and our knowledge of him is increased, whereby our discernment is expanded, and we become real, genuine, without pretense, without hidden motives, not just to show. You know, that when we are offended, we, we, we don't react, we don't get defensive. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people when they're offended, they get, they get defensive. They react, get defensive. Or troubled or distressed. Most often it's by a consciousness of their own sin. You know, a defensive person actually is a person that's not at peace with themselves or with God. Or have confidence in the relationship. You know, Psalm 119, verse 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Do you ever think about the fact that Jesus never got de- defensive? Or Paul? He didn't get defensive. They simply spoke the truth. Even when personally attacked, they spoke the truth. Paul said in Acts 4, 24, 16, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. See, Paul was real. He was sincere. He told of his triumphs, but you know what he also told us about? His struggles. Oh, he wasn't this guy that was super spiritual all the time. You know, he told us in Romans chapter 7, things that I would not, that do I. He said, you know, he said that in this flesh of mine, there's nothing good. He said, I've got some struggles. I'm just telling you, I'm a real human being. He also told us that he didn't like to suffer. He he wished that things would be more pleasant because he had this thorn in the flesh. And he asked the Lord three times that it would take it away from him. Can you imagine having a thorn in the flesh and you ask the Lord to take it away from you? This is the guy that cast out demons, that healed people. And he asked the Lord to heal him and the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for thee. Lest thou be exalted above measure. You know what the, you know what God was saying to Paul? Paul, look, I'm giving this to you to keep you humble. Because you have this, you have this uh, this part of you that tends to get proud. That's really what he was saying. You have this part of this, 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 this potential of getting proud or being puffed up. And so I'm giving you this thorn in the flesh to keep you from being exalted above measure. After all, there had been abundance of revelations given to him. Abundance of scripture that he given to us through the pen of Paul. And so lest he be exalted and puffed up, God allowed a thorn in the flesh. What was Paul telling us? He says, I'm a real person. I have struggles. I have struggles in my flesh. 
Yet most of us have this idea that Paul's a super spiritual guy 100% of the time. That's not true. And he let, do you know what, you know what he did here? He's letting all these people that know him know this. Because what he's telling me is that, look, I know you got struggles. I have them too. I'm a real human being. I have the same struggles you do. That's what sincere is. Being real. Being real. And without offense. You know, one of the, I was sharing with the Bible Institute class the other night, one of the things that I've learned over the years, you know, when, when we, we talk about, you know, sins that are far out there, and the morality is rampant today, and it's become more complex, but when it, when it first, when, when, you know, when homosexuality came, came out of the closet, so to speak, there was a reaction, there was a reaction in fundamental churches, so much so that we didn't even want to talk to any of these people. We didn't want anything to do with them, and, and we'd avoid them. Is that right? No. Paul didn't avoid them. In fact, there were some in the church at Corinth. He says, such were some of them. And so, sincere. This love, when it grows and abounds, it makes us sincere, real, genuine, without offense to the day of Christ. And then finally, he concludes it with this in verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. See, the result of all this abounding love the the knowledge of him, the discernment that increases, the 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 approving or learning excellent things, you know, and and making right choices and and doing what is right by others, and and the, the result of all this is we become filled with fruits of righteousness. The word "filled" here has the idea of a flood or overflowing. You know, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. In Ephesians 5, verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And so, you know, it, it, this result of all this is a, and a, 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 and a uh, being filled or having an overflowing abundance of fruits of righteousness, uh, and, and learning how to respond and act in our relationship with others. You know what is the common response or reaction to a personal offense? What's your common What's your common response when you're insulted? Is it 
your common response, righteous or unrighteous? Do you get defensive? Let me ask you this then. Why do you love? Is it a get or gain for yourself or to give something to someone else? God didn't love us to get or gain for himself. And if we really learn to abide in this love, we won't get offended when we're insulted. We will learn to respond in love. I've often said we need to learn to, we, I said we, we need to learn to respond and not react. See, reaction has the idea, I act based on what they did to me. Our response is, I do what's right no matter what they did to me. You see, if we are filled with the fruits of righteousness, then we're going and this has to do with right conduct. And this again is this is all this is a result of this abounding or growing more and more in love and knowledge and judgment and approving things that are excellent. And it, it brings about a life filled with right conduct, which is by Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Again, that dependency on Him. It's not we do things to be seen or to get praised. Of course, Jesus illustrated this in, in Matthew 6 when He's talking about uh, uh, praying or giving. He says we're not to, be, to give to be seen of men. You know, that giving is to get something for self. That's not giving. You don't stand on the street corners and pray long prayers to be seen of men. You know, true religion is not something you show on Sunday. It's not something that's just outward. It's inward. That manifests itself in everyday responses in kindness and righteousness to people without Seeking applause or the affirmation of men. It's something that is within that determines who you are in every area of your life. At home, at work, when you're driving, and it's most evident when you are alone. So the question I'd have for you this morning is, is your love abounding? Are you sincere? Are you real? Do those around you see it? If this love is abounding, it ought to be something that excels, that, that, that's overflowing. That's seen by others. You know, is He preeminent in your life? 
or after you leave here, is it back to my way? How is it with you this morning? Are we abandoning in his love? Let's pray.